teaching students about the cosmos and sci-fi selections for quarantining binging. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Some seniors at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida, are learning about the night sky and the universe they live in thanks to their astronomy teacher, Kyle Jeter. Astronomy isn't a common course selection for most. We'll explore how it can help students understand all sorts of science and promote science literacy in a social media world. Then, our expert scientists have some sci-fi picks for keeping us busy during the quarantine. We'll chat with UCF's Addie Dove, Josh Caldwell, and Jim Cooney about science fiction shows and new science documentaries to keep us company as we're safer at home. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? But first, let's take a look at the latest space stories making headlines. It's a bit crowded on the International Space Station after two Russian cosmonauts and an American astronaut launched a Soyuz spacecraft last week. The trio will begin ISS Expedition 63, with NASA's Chris Cassidy taking on the role of the commander. That means the mission is coming to an end for NASA's Jessica Meir and Andrew Young. The astronauts, along with another cosmonaut, are set to return to Earth Friday. Meanwhile, this week marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 13 mission, the failed attempt to get humans to the moon, and the valiant effort to return them home safely. You can follow along in real time, online, like I've been doing for hours into the night, at apolloinrealtime.org. Stay up to date on the latest space news stories online at wmfe.org space, or visit wmfe.org. Kyle Jeter teaches astronomy at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, my alma mater. While I never took his class, we've stayed connected over the years. I wanted to know what I missed not taking his class, I opted for marine biology instead, and how his class is evolving with students now learning remotely. I caught up with Mr. Jeter in between student meetings on Zoom. Kyle Jeter, thanks for making time for us. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we'll start with the easy question, I think. Uh, what got you into teaching? Well, that, yeah, that is an easy one. Uh, both of my parents were teachers, so I grew up around teaching. Even my uncle was a, a teacher and, and eventually the assistant superintendent of our school district, so I was raised in that. I, and believe it or not, I actually didn't plan on being a teacher, but when I started at Douglas, that was my first teaching job, and I just kind of knew within months, like, that's really kind of what I was meant to be. So. Um, that's really what got me into it. And astronomy is such an interesting subject to teach. Have you always taught astronomy? No, actually, I, I majored in physics. And I was considering, I was basically going back and forth whether I wanted to take, I had some job offers in, in you know, more engineering. And when I started teaching, I, I then taught physics for the first three years. And there are several reasons for this, but it's, it's one of those things that really just kind of happened on a whim. But I was paying attention, you know, this was right. I don't want to uh, date myself too much here, but this was when the Hubble was <laughs> brand new. Okay. Yeah. And so you could imagine, you know, that was such a revolutionary thing. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, there is no high school astronomy class. And just on a whim, I mean, the way I remember it is that I was walking down the hall and I saw an administrator and said, hey, could I start a class in astronomy? And they said, yeah, sure. I mean, that was it. Like that, that changed my whole life. That one spur of the moment decision. And so I started teaching astronomy in the fall of 97 is when I started the class. I had one little class 
And honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just self-taught. I was learning astronomy as we went along. And then I just, I mean, I fell in love with the subject. And the more I fell in love with the subject, the better I got at, at expressing that. And so the next year I had two classes of astronomy and the next year I had four classes. And then starting around uh, 2000 or 2001, I, I no longer taught physics and I had all astronomy for years. So you've been teaching it for... Um... I won't. I won't put a date to it. <laughs> You've been teaching it for a while. Um, for a while. Yeah. What? What's? Uh, what are some of the topics um, that you teach in the class? Or, or maybe a better way to ask this question: If I'm taking your class, what? What's on my final? We. I go with this sort of inside-out format, where we start sort of close to home. Well, first of all, the basically the first quarter are are the basics of the night sky. I mean, we start out with constellations and just you know, trying to get the kids to go out and look at the night sky and enjoy it and use these great new apps and things like that to, to learn the night sky, use programs like, you know, Stellarium and so forth and, and basics of telescopes. You know, they have to go through um, and show mastery of using one of our telescopes. They have to focus in. There's a, a tower over, you know, about a mile away and they have to, to focus on that. So some basic things first quarter like that, the history the wonderful history of astronomy. I mean, what an amazing story that is. So that's all first quarter. Second quarter is the solar system, which is what a lot of the kids kind of, they just think that's what astronomy is. Literally, we'll get done with the solar system and kids are looking at me like, well, what are we going to do second semester? And I'm just <laughs> laughing. I'm like, are you serious? Like, we're, we're still in our backyard, you know? We're, we're just getting warmed up. And so third quarter is uh, mostly about uh, stellar evolution. Uh, it's also, I do a chapter on exoplanets, which is one of my favorite chapters because to see that field mm -hmm. grow and, exp and just explode in the time that I've been teaching. Right. You, you, uh, you wouldn't be teaching that in, uh, in 97, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I would mention it, but at that time we had discovered, I, I would say, a grand total of about eight exoplanets. Mm-hmm. And now we have, you know, obviously thousands of exoplanets. And so, you know, it, to see that from the beginning, essentially, uh, and that's literally one of the things I thought about when I was starting the class. It was the Hubble. It was the, the, this new field uh, of finding exoplanets. It was such an exciting time. And then fourth quarter, which is my favorite quarter, um, which, is, which is, it's always funny because I teach seniors. Mm -hmm. and. That you know, fourth quarter seniors coming back after spring break, and I'm so passionate about what we're going to do, and it, it's this titanic struggle of like, no, 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 you've got to function, you've got to learn. This is so great, and that's when we, of course, get into uh, you know galaxies and cosmology and, and, and the Big Bang, and and then and I end with a chapter on you know, finding the basically speculation on finding life and what types of life we might expect to find that kind of thing so it kind of builds you know it just builds up and mm -hmm. builds up i just desperately try to keep them engaged right to the end that's always my goal so not only do you have to deal with seniors who are are checking out uh but this year particularly um you know in broward county and much like most of the country uh schools have been closed um to limit the spread of coronavirus a lot of this teaching has gone online um how has that transition been uh for you um, teaching astronomy via Zoom and, and, and online tools that you have? Well, first of all, I'm very fortunate that I've been using the Canvas 
learning management system for many, many years. I mean, right from the beginning, uh, luckily a friend of mine, a teacher friend of mine, uh, Mr. Simpson, stressed to me at that time, he had an astronomy class or two at the time. He said, you know, we should just get into this. It's going to be great. And I said, okay. And so uh, we taught, sort of taught ourselves how to do it a long time ago. So I really had my entire astronomy class on Canvas already. I mean, for me personally, I've had one of the easier transitions, I think, of, of any teacher I know. Now that it certainly takes away, we have um, from things like our astronomy nights, we have astronomy nights out in the school garden uh, once or twice a quarter. And, you know, the kids miss that. And so believe it or not, I did a, um, a virtual astronomy night and just try, I had them on Zoom. And I was just, I had two big telescopes set up out in mm -hmm. the road in front of my house, you know, which, which was kind of comical because there's just no traffic. So I'm like, I'm just going to set up in the middle of the road because that's my best shot. So I just set them up and, uh, and I went through and I had quite a few kids join in and we, you know, it, it maybe wasn't the greatest learning experience they'll ever have, but it was more about the camaraderie, about seeing them and just trying to have some normalcy as much as possible. I'm interesting. And I have Zoom meetings with the kids, by the way, at least once a week, we kind of meet as a class and, and talk on Zoom. What tips do you have for, for some parents who are now faced with having these kids at home, some of them uh, more often than they would like? <laughs> They'd rather they be in your classroom <laughs> than at home. Uh, but what tips do you have for them who are, are trying to learn from home? Well, that's certainly understandable. And it's certainly a, a challenge for parents. So I'm glad you asked that. You know, I mentioned about... Um, a software program called Stellarium that it's free. It's a free online program and it's just wonderful. It's a, it, it's, it's fairly intuitive on how you move around the sky and you, you can really learn the sky. And I can imagine kids getting on that and just spending hours um, learning how to use that. And then of course that's sort of when you're inside and at night and so forth, these, these apps, Star Walk and all these different apps where you point it up at the sky. So you could probably learn it inside with Stellarium and kind of get, a, you know, start getting a grasp of what's in the sky and what to expect and then go out with Star Walk and challenge them. Okay, so you saw roughly where, you know, Ursa Major is. Now see if you can find it with your eyes first and then you can kind of check yourself with, with Star Walk and see if you were correct and, and see how many things you could find. So it'd be a fun little challenge for them to do things like that. Kyle, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, thinking about this global pandemic we're in, and also this kind of fire hose of information we get via social media, it seems like now more than ever, science literacy is is so important. Um, how are you teaching um, these these critical skills to your students in the classroom? One of the things, you know, one of the techniques that I, I really enjoy using. And I, I borrowed this from my dad. My dad was a, a government teacher and he started every single class for 38 years with current events. And so what I try to do, I, I try to really stay with what's happening right now to get kids excited uh, about what's happening and to do so. So, you know, once I get them excited about, and then I, then I'll send them the link to a space.com article and we'll go through that together. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the reading level might be above uh, what some of them are used to, but, but I, I love that challenge for them. And I say, look, just, you, you do what you can, you go through it. And then we're going to go through it together. And we're going to talk about these things in class. And so we spent a lot of time uh, reading current event articles. They also, um, and this is something I haven't always done, uh, but we have the, the, some great mechanisms now for allowing them to do really cool classroom presentation. And to me, 
and, and, and a lot of them are about current events. And that's really, I think, the best learning experience they have for, for me because they, they get up in front of the class and they give these presents and they have to express, you know, it's a deeper level of knowledge. It's one thing, you know, when you have to get up and teach it, mm-hmm. you really have to know your stuff. And I think that that kind of deepens their, their understanding of the science and allows them to present things. And if I could mention one more, one of my favorite things of the year, and um, we do a, a Pluto debate every year. And I think that's a good example where the kids, they get amazingly fired up about this every year. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, my colleagues come in as the jury and they decide who wins the debate. But the thing is that the kids get so pumped up about it that they really learn how to communicate and they, they really learn it on kind of a deeper level than what we usually do. And so I'm hoping that helps because they start, I mean, they, you know, I give them certain things that they're, they can read uh, from the science literature, but they're also investigating other things. That, and uh, that's another example where, where I think that that possibly, hopefully helps in that area. Kyle Jeter, do you keep a running tally on the Pluto debate? Who, who has won? Kind of. For, for, for several years, and we started this probably not long after the decision was made in 2006 uh, to, to reclassify it as a door planet. We've been doing it almost that long. And, and honestly, for the first probably five years, I would have like six astronomy classes, let's say, and it was usually three to three. But I do want you to understand it's actually been ever so slightly an advantage to keeping the definition the way it is. What, what, what I, I call it anti-Pluto, uh, pro-Pluto <laughs> and anti-Pluto. I don't know if those are the best terms for it, but um, that's just what I used at the beginning and I've stuck with it. So anti-Pluto has a very slight arguing that, you know, that there should be a separate classification for all the Kuiper Belt objects and Pluto should be in that field. Um, but, but honestly, in terms of which team wins, I mean, I'm having teachers and administrators come in and they're, they're not necessarily science teachers and, and their job is just to pick which team does the best presentation. So they're not really judging on the scientific argument per se. It's more about which team w- was able to, to give the best presentation, both vocally, they make props, short films, and all, you know, there are different aspects of it that they, makes it a kind of a competition. So it's not so much about Pluto itself as about how well they express what they've learned. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. That's a really, really cool exercise. Thinking about astronomy as as a class that is taught in high school, it, it's it's not out there a lot. You don't you don't hear about astronomy classes in 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 high school and middle school throughout the country. Make the case to change that. You know, one of the things that that I always talk about to people is that I can teach every other science through astronomy. I mean, if you have a, if you have a child, if you have a, a high school student, let's say. And they have an interest in astronomy. You can, you can obviously you can teach physics. Okay, I can teach all of the aspects of physics that you would learn in a physics class. There, there's chemistry at the end of the year. There's biology. I mean, the, you know, what what is life and how would it uh, thrive or not thrive on a place like Mars or Europa? You can you can get it. Geology, the geology of these different uh, planets. You know, uh, we get into spectroscopy and how it's used in astronomy. That's something you would normally learn in chemistry. So, you know, that's one, that's one of my arguments always for astronomy is that, and, and you know, the, the public and, and kids, they love it. I think a lot of it is because it's so visual. You know, if, if you're a visual learner, you, you just, you get absorbed with this. You get sucked in because you see these incredible pictures and you want to know, hey, what is that? What am I looking at? And how did that form? And, and so 
it, it's kind of easy to get kids excited about science. I think we about astronomy in particular and science in general. And I think we learned that in the early years of the class, because even though I wasn't doing a particularly great job at the time of teaching, the kids were into it and they, it became very popular. And, uh, and I think that shows that that's a way, you know, it's become so important in our society. And if you have something that can draw kids in and once they're in, once they're hooked, that's it. They're going to want to learn, uh, I think, about other types of science and, and, and how this relates. Kyle, I never took your class in high school, um, which is a, a regret I, I live with every day. I can admit that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I had friends in high school who, who raved about your class um, and even I'll date myself here even 15 years after graduating. I still hear former classmates talk about it. I mean, why do you think this subject, and you kind of answered it in your last question, but personally, why do you think kids are so drawn to this class with you? Um, and, and how do you leave that lasting impression on them? You know, one of the, the, the when I started teaching, I, I should tell you, I didn't have any classes in education in, in college. And so that was a great disadvantage, you know, really for the first half of my career. And I spent a lot of time spinning my wheels and trying to learn things from scratch and and uh, but one of the things that my dad told me my first year, he said, you know, the, the, the kids, they won't always remember everything uh, that they, that you taught them, but they'll always remember how you treated them. And, and so, you know, I've always kept that in mind. And I, I, I try to make the class, I, I think back to my favorite professors and my favorite teachers. and I basically just emulate them. I had a physics professor, Dr. Stephen Cobb, and the way he just made us feel like it was fun to go to his class. It was a high level physics class, but you still, you enjoyed it and you felt like you were part of a team and you were part of something. And so I just try to emulate, you know, other you know, teachers that I've seen over the years that really had an impact on me. I try to make it just a welcoming class and a fun class and, and, and you know, and that, that kids want to come to every day and I, I guess that's it. But as I said, I have the great advantage of teaching a wonderful, wonderful subject. Well, before I let you go, Kyle Jeter, um, with all of us stuck at home and, and not going out, um, give us some homework. What should we be looking at uh, in the coming weeks when we go and, and observe the night sky? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, there's definitely something interesting in the works. Uh, Comet Atlas. Nobody knows yet, as, as I'm sure you're aware, nobody knows what's going to happen. Comets are very fickle. Uh, sometimes they, the astronomers think they're going to be spectacular and they kind of fizzle out. And then sometimes, maybe about once a decade or so, you get one that is truly spectacular. And this one at least has the potential, the potential to be spectacular. So be on the lookout out for that. That's what I would tell your listeners. Comet Atlas, keep an eye out. And as soon as, right now, it's not yet visible with the naked eye. Uh, I'm going to actually look for it over the next few days with the telescope. We've been speaking with Kyle Jeter. He teaches astronomy at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, Mr. Jeter, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much, Brendan. It's been a pleasure, and it's really been an honor uh, to be on, on your podcast. Still to come, expert sci-fi picks to get you through the quarantine. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. 
Find yourself with a little more time on the couch these days? Me too. Well, I reached out to our I'd Like to Know panel of experts, UCF's Addie Dove, Josh Caldwell, and Jim Cooney, about what they're watching these days to help pass the time. Josh Caldwell kicks off the conversation. Yeah, well, it's a great time if you haven't seen it or maybe haven't seen it in a little while to go back and catch up on Deep Impact. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there are actually, a, we're, we're blessed these days with a, a wealth of great science fiction shows, past and present, to, to, to watch and binge on. Um, my daughter is plowing through Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, at this time and nice. of course the expanse is a current show that we've uh, talked about as a uh, got some really good science and sort of closer to home than uh, star trek um so those are a couple of great options i still have not heard from any of our listeners sending me a screenshot of them capturing you <laughs> in the film so that, oh, really? that offer still stands as of this taping if you can spot oh. josh caldwell and deep impact i'll send you an are we there yet sticker yes uh, Addie, what's on your uh, what's on your watch list uh, this quarantine season? Um, we haven't been watching too many uh, too many super sci fi things. I've been watching Orphan Black, which is um, a drama, but it has a lot of sci fi elements to it. It's about human cloning. Spoiler alert! Uh, uh, it's not really a spoiler. It's, just, it's very many years old now. Um, but so so that's been really fun catching up on that. Um, we have been listening to some podcasts about uh, Star Trek, so those are fun to listen to as well. Um, but I mean, if you're looking for bingeable sci-fi shows, I have to recommend The Expanse uh, also. And um, I liked the list you guys had put together of some of the movies you wanted to watch, or some of the movies you were watching also. We've got that on our website, WMFE.org, uh, for the list of what the staff is watching. Um, Jim, what about you? What's, uh, what's keeping you busy these days? Well, I'm going to give you three sweet options for, uh, things to watch. One, uh, veering from sci-fi, but going back to science is Cosmos. I'm sure that many of the listeners have seen Cosmos, but, and, and there are two versions of it. Of course, there's the original Carl Sagan version from 1979, 1980. That's the one I'm specifically referring to. I, uh, I cry every time I watch at least the first episode. I, I mean, I'm a wimp, but uh, very, very good, beautiful music. And uh, the science is still largely relevant. Obviously, there have been many updates since 1980, but uh, a lot of it is still right on the nose. So that's great. And then, of course, there was an update by Neil deGrasse Tyson a few years ago, which is also great. And there's um, actually a new season of it. It's out right now, I think. Fantastic. Um, so that's a great thing to watch. Uh, sci-fi-wise, my favorite sci-fi series of all time is uh, Firefly. <laughs> and that's a great one to watch. The, the science, I mean, it's its more about the people than it is the science, but it's got, uh, you know, it's got some fun science. They don't have sound in space and so forth, which is very, <laughs> which is kind of nice. Uh, and they do the cool things where, like, they pan from outside the ship where it's silent to inside the ship, and then they switch from no sound to sound and it's really nice unfortunately there's only one season of something like 13 episodes and so uh don't and there's there's but... also a very large and hotly contested debate as to the order you're supposed to watch them in because oh, i had yeah. firefly on my list uh as something to do while well, i've got some downtime now jim awesome. can you shed any light onto how to watch it watch it straight through do you watch the pilot first movie first what do you do you watch the the way that that Joss Whedon had intended it, which is you know the uh, now I can't even remember the the name of the first episode. Not the way they they ruined it on Fox, of course, by uh, airing it out of order 
and making it all crazy. They ordered, they had uh, an episode called The Train Job as the first episode because they wanted like more action or something. Yeah. Less exposition or something like that. But actually, the real first episode, the way that we have it ordered in the DVDs, um, which maybe you're not going to buy, but uh, do it in the right way. I think and it's then, called the, the pilot. End, you can watch I think the movie. first well, episode. What is the right way? I'm still waiting for you to tell me what's the first one we should watch. Uh, just it's started. called the pilot. Like that's the episode. Like it's just the pilot episode. I think. And uh, if you're into that, also there is a Firefly board game that is huge and expansive and very difficult to play. <laughs> but if you have a lot of time during your uh, being trapped in quarantine, you can play Firefly the board game. So, Jim, you've cool. got uh, Cosmos, Firefly. Did you say you had three picks for us today? Oh, movie-wise, Interstellar. This, this is, of course, going to cause no. uh, <laughs> uh, friction in the uh, <laughs> amongst us. But, uh, yeah, Josh and I have been arguing for many years about this, whether it's a good movie or not. One of my very favorite movies of all time, Josh, is, uh, doesn't hate it, but he's a little more sour on it. I'm not uh, on board. <laughs> but, let's, let's, let's have fun uh, with this, I'm, Josh. I'm, in 30 I'll seconds, tell me it. why you don't like the movie. I'll let him tell you why you don't like the movie. But let me say first, the reason it's great is some of the science is great. Wait, not the very end where things get a little crazy and the power of love and all that kind of stuff. But uh, at least the relativity part of it, where they, where they explore how time runs differently when you're near a black hole. And stuff. But that's all done ridiculously well. And according to equation, how the, uh, the black hole in the movie looks is precisely the way it would actually look based on the real equations. And so that's a really cool so thing I, to look at science-wise. If, if I want the right equations for black holes and see how they really look, I'm going to open a general relativity textbook and look at the picture that the Event Horizon <laughs> Telescope took of a real black hole. If I want, if I go into the movies, it's to see a good story about people with good storytelling and not waste 45 minutes at the beginning seeing crops dying and wondering why NASA didn't actually call their best pilot to begin with and instead have him accidentally discover that they need him. And I could go on. <laughs> so it's, it seems a, a plot issue for you, Josh, huh? It's storytelling. It's just storytelling, right? The, so I, they, uh, it, it, didn't make, it didn't make sense from a story standpoint. Uh, there were several things that I enjoyed about it, but I thought that uh, they didn't do a good job of storytelling. I thought that the idea that this guy would voluntarily just let time pass on a ship by himself while all of his crewmates are down in a different relativistic environment so that time is passing much more slowly for them instead of putting himself in hibernation just waiting for them to come back so he could live his life with people instead of by himself his ship was ridiculous and they only did it just to show Hey, there's this weird thing called time dilation. That was far more than thirty seconds, but I'll I'll allow it. You can trim that. He, he, he preempted a lot of my time. <laughs> Sorry about that. By the way, the, the uh, first episode of Serenity you should watch is called Serenity Part One and Serenity. Oh, there you go. They were not they were not aired first on Fox, but they're the first ones you should watch. Excellent. Well, I will put a list and links to all of these suggestions on our website, wmfe.org slash are we there yet? But for now, we've been speaking with UCF scientists Josh Caldwell, Jim Cooney, and Addie Dove. Uh, they're at the University of Central Florida and host the podcast Walk About the Galaxy, which, by the way, is what I've been binging on this uh, quarantine. So check it out if you haven't as well. So thank you all. You can get their podcast Walk About the Galaxy wherever you get this show or visit walkaboutthegalaxy.com. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. 
Show your support for this show and the local journalism you rely on by making a donation at WMFE.org. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.